Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Meaning of Life and Such. I'm your host, Haya Caps, and I try to chip away at the question of who we are, why we're all here, and what it all means. If that sounds a little bit vague, then, well, you try coming up with a better description of what this is all about. Uh, Notes on a postcard, please. In any case, here's our new deep dive into life, the universe, and everything. Let's roll tape. Hello, you wonderful humans, and welcome back to another episode of The Meaning of Life and Such. I am joined here by an old friend of mine who I am excited to introduce, um, or I'm going to make introduce himself. Uh, and uh, so, my good friend, what is your name? What pronouns do you use? And where in the world are you? Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Nick Stevens. My pronouns are typically uh, he and him, but uh, go for it. I'm, uh, I'm up into most things. And I'm currently sitting in the town of Groningen, which is in the north of the Netherlands. And for the rest of the world, that means just north of Amsterdam. Yeah, um, and it means that you're sitting a 10-minute bike ride away from my parents, which, which is, is a quite little weird. Bit, which is a little bizarre because I haven't been able to see them for 18 months and I missed them badly. And it's it's kind of funny to know that you're like basically their neighbors. I mean, I could go around and see them if you want, if it helps. <laughs> Give them a wave, send them some flowers. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I may just keep you, keep you to that. They'll be very confused and delighted. Um there's one question I like to ask everybody before we get started, just to kind of set the scene a little bit for people who don't know me as well, so they don't know you, and who don't know how we're connected, which is, uh, Nick, how did we meet, and what is your first memory of me? Oh, oh boy, now that's that's interesting. Um, we actually have two, uh, or are both part of two relatively discreet, uh, let's call them social circles, or, or areas of life. Um, and I would have thought, looking back now, that we would have met through one, uh, but we actually met through the other one. So uh, I remember when we first met, it was, I guess it must have been June 2017, and we were on a mountain in Norway. Yep. Um, That's a perfectly logical person for two kind of semi-Dutch people who have a strong connection to the UK to meet. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, the, the, the memory, so to speak, apart from we were at a, an event that was was pretty awesome because it was on a mountain in Norway. Um, but the thing that actually stuck in my mind was the fact that uh, I had to get a ridiculously early flight back to, uh, I don't know, the Netherlands or somewhere the next morning. That's right. And it was one of those cases of, I'm either going to go book a hotel room, which is going to be last minute, really expensive and sleep in it for three hours and probably oversleep and miss my flight. Or, and I'm having this conversation with myself and a group of people around a, a picnic table, one or some of you are all coming drinking with me until such time, three, four, five in the morning, that I have to just sort of stagger to the airport. It's a service we provide, Nick. And uh, you were, in fact, the last man standing in a bar that I could never find or name in, uh, I think it was Bergen, Norway, uh, until you said, Nick, uh, this is the last drink because you need to go catch a flight. So, That's right. Um, Forever grateful that you were uh, the person who kept me talking all night and uh, awake and somewhat, you know, alcoholically lubricated. And um, it made me think back that we've <laughs> we've actually never had a conversation that was not long, deep and meaningful. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like we've met maybe five or six times in total. And every time there have been really big, impactful, heart open conversations which is funny because it feels like we don't have much of a casual friendship which it's it's almost bizarre i don't think i've ever experienced that it's weird isn't it it was it was just one of those things sitting at that uh, uh on the mountain in norway with a whole bunch of you know 200 other people around us and uh i know you're you're not a, a huge fan of large groups and uh, i'm i'm okay with it when i'm on stage but a lot less when i'm not on the stage and um, shortly afterwards, we, we just sort of ended up at the edge of this party tent, uh, uh, marquee, whatever you want to call it, and, and talking about just about everything. It was uh, quite fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, th- this is the main um, reason why I invited you on this podcast. I, um, As I mentioned before we came on air, I've done a lot of thinking about the kind of people who, you know, of course, I'm going to inv- uh, invite and talk to all my very closest friends. But there are some people who seem like they just kind of crash into your life and they're a catalyst for change or a catalyst for evolution. And I think you are one of those. But it's also interesting because it feels like professionally you have chosen to do something that is related to that. Can you say a little bit about what you do for a living and what drew you to that? 
Oh boy, wow. Um, <laughs> I love the fact you asked such a big, broad, open question, which means I can give you any answer I want. And I'm not <laughs> panicking with, oh my God, what is he talking about? Um, I, I, I guess you're talking about what I've, I've started doing uh, uh, much more recently, which is uh, helping companies, uh, predominantly small and medium enterprises, I have to say, not so much on the startups, which is a thing in my background, or corporates, which is also a thing in my background, um, to really look at how they can be a force for good. So um, what does that mean in, in terms of uh, my work is, you know, I don't think we're living in a time period where we should be destroying the people and taking, uh, sorry, destroying the planet and taking advantage of people in order to hoard money in the quest of, of never ending profit. And I, I say that on the day that Jeff Bezos managed to launch himself into space. Yeah. Fortunately, he, or unfortunately he uh, came back, but uh, never mind that. Um, and I think we're at a period in time where we all realize, you know, uh, uh, climate change, uh, massive division in uh, uh, standards of wealth and, and living quality around the whole world, but also in just about every town and city you can imagine. And I don't think we need to do that anymore. There is just one slight problem, and that is whenever I talk to an entrepreneur or the owner or leadership of a small, medium business and say, but wouldn't you want to do better? They say, oh, yeah, absolutely, sure. But how? Because there really isn't much in the way of books or history on this. We, you know, we've been living through capitalism 101 for the last, well, you know, certainly all of my lifetime and double that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and nobody really knows how to do business well. We know how to extract the most amount of profit and productivity out of everything. But- yeah, and I feel like I feel like there's a lot of people who are doing the whole I want to doing the whole I want to do good and I want to do well. And there's a, some, there's a series of companies that are B Corps. There's a series of companies that are doing the whole, um, uh, you know, triple bottom line thing. But what it boils down to, I feel like as, as a mature company, you have a responsibility to shareholders and not much else. Uh, because ultimately, that's what it boils down to. It doesn't matter how much positivity you put into the world. If you are running at a deficit, you know, your shareholders are going to be angry. That's not why most of them invested. Yeah, and I, I think mean, that it, comes to kind of the that comes to like the corporate meaning of life almost, right? Well, so I, it's interesting you used the the, the word, uh, and now I've completely forgotten what what you used. But at, at, at a certain point in a company's lifetime, uh, um, they become you know uh, morally um, implicated to follow this uh, uh, profit for shareholders, and and <laughs> this is the thing that most people don't realize is that is actually the legal responsibility for pretty much any company the day they are incorporated. Yeah. Unless an organization and, and you know, I'm in the Netherlands, so we're talking about a, a BV. If you're in the UK, you're talking about a limited. If you're talking in the US, you're talking about an LLC. Unless on the day that you incorporate, you actually tell uh, your notary public or, or whatever variation you might have um, to write the uh, statutes of your incorporation differently, they will give you the cookie cutter paste, which basically says the purpose mission of this organization is to generate as much profit for the shareholder as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so baked into the basics of a, a business that that is really hard to avoid. And Nick, I, I I could talk to you about this for hours, but I kind of want to bring it back to the personal mission. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because there is such a like cookie cutter template for businesses, do you feel like there's a, there's an implied cookie cutter purpose of life for humans as well or 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 is that fuzzier and vaguer and more open so i had um i wouldn't say an epiphany but but uh last year i turned 42 um so i think i'm just slightly ahead of you all pretty close enough but i had two years yeah yeah so uh, epiphany is a big word, but I, I had a, a moment where I was also contemplating uh, what does life mean for me? You know, not not necessarily the meaning of life in the in the great expansive perspective, but just what does it mean for me? And it coincided with my forty second birthday, which was for the first time in certainly as long as I can remember, the first time that I decided to openly celebrate my birthday with other people. Previous to that, I'd, I'd pretty much avoided it and pretended I didn't exist. Um, and I came to the conclusion that for me, the meaning of life is, is, is actually pretty simple because as long as I can sit and, and philosophize about what it could be and, and, and for me, it's much more interesting to, to talk about what does it actually mean for you? 
and it comes down to one thing and it's it's you know what what what's in the label and that is what is the meaning of life and and i think that is to be alive and what does being alive then mean i think is is to be lively so taking it from you know just physically having a heartbeat okay that that's alive but going one step further and saying what is lifeful and what is lively um started to give me a perspective of okay that that gives me a um a north star or a direction or a, a something that I can make decisions against in my life. Uh, is this lively or not? Does this feel lifeful or not? Um, to start steering myself to, um, and, and now I got to be careful that I don't use the word happiness and, and all that kind of stuff, but steering myself in a direction where I can still be responsible for um, how I want to feel and be and grow. Yeah. Um, and that turned into my meaning of my life. Uh, is is doing good and keeping it lively. So that that feels like you have greater clarity than most of the people I've spoken to so far, which is beautiful. But you've already hinted at this. Like, what like what is lively? How does that show up in your spirit, your soul, your body? Like, how do you know that you're being lively, or how do you know you are unlively? I was going to say it's it's usually easy for me to talk about, and, and certainly currently, uh, what not lively feels like. Um, and I don't mind sharing with you because we've talked about it before, so I don't mind sharing it yeah. on here either. You know, uh, I've had some mental health wobbles in the f- past couple of years um, that I'm still going through, and I'm, I'm still learning how to deal with them. Um, right there I, with you, I, friend. But I, I know when I don't want to get out of bed at lunchtime um, and, and don't really want to face whatever is in my inbox or agenda or uh, if you've gone ahead and canceled my agenda, I know that that doesn't feel lively. I know that sitting in front of Netflix for hours and hours on end is not lively it it might be therapeutic but it's not lively so um in in some cases it's just as easy as okay what is the decision i need to make now and and what is the lively version or the not lively version so should i call for takeout or should i go to the grocery store and then cook one of those feels more lively than the other and and of course you know I'm, i'm picking easy things because i think it's easy for you and other people to understand um, but you can then extrapolate that up to, you know, how do I want to spend my time? How do I yeah. prioritize things? And and you've got what are what are relationships, like, etc. Yeah, right. And obviously, you've got the binary of is this lively or not? But then you can also start um, comparing those against other things and each other to find out what is more lively or less lively. You know, there's only so much time uh, we have in a day and a week and a month, and we have to choose carefully how we want to spend it. Totally. I do want to dig a little bit deeper. Which would be, how does that, like, where do you feel that? Is that a feeling in your body? Is that a feeling that you should be doing something else? Like, like how do you even recognize that as a, as a thing that is happening within you? Uh, I think mostly it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm not necessarily an emotional and, and body kind of person. I'm much more logic and, and busy in my head. Um, so quite often it can just be a, a you know, a, a quick analysis of a scenario and a decision made on that. Um, but that, if I'm honest, tends to be the, the more easy, um, easy situations to scenarios where, you know, a decision can be made quickly. I think some of the other stuff, uh, takes a bit more time and a bit more brooding, but I think it's, it's definitely more my head than my body. I'm not, I'm not necessarily one for yeah. gut feelings or I was going to say, I, uh, I, I guess I do know it in my body when something is not going well, but that's usually when it's coming towards breaking point and, and my body's telling me, you know, s- slow down, do nothing. You've, you've already pushed it too far. Yeah. Uh, an earlier guest on this podcast, Meg, actually describes it very similar, who says, um, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, that she doesn't, her body doesn't tell her when she's doing well, but it definitely tells her when she's doing badly. And the way I heard that from her is that sometimes she has to take a step in what she thinks is the wrong direction just to feel it and go, yeah, no, that was definitely the wrong direction and then starts moving in a different direction. And from the way you describe that, you don't have that as a body sensation, but as like a, a, a thought projection almost. Does that, does that sound right? Yeah, I can't argue with that. Um, I, I, I won't say I don't take steps and then react on, 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 on you know, what, what, what occurs. Uh, that definitely happens, but it's it's much, I think, still much more data driven um, yeah. than than uh, physical. The the vision that kind of sprung to mind for me now, uh, Nick, was you walk up to a running tap, right? 
one of those uh, American taps that has hot and water, uh, hot water and cold water in the same tap. You don't know which way is hot and cold. And there's, there's, you can either sit there and look at it until you figure it out. Or you can just turn it slightly, right? It goes warmer. Cool. Now you know which way is warmer. And sometimes that is just the fastest way to figure something out. You can stand and analyze and think about what the engineers wanted and look at the signs on the tap, or you can just turn the fucking tap. Right. And and I mean, you and I obviously have a, an affinity with both entrepreneurship and, and, and We are nothing if not tap turners, Nick. <laughs> e- exactly. You know, uh, <laughs> biasing towards action is, is always going to provide the fastest feedback. Whether you like that feedback or not is a different question, but arguably bad feedback or, or feedback that you don't want uh, is, is still good news compared to no feedback at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so... Before the podcast, I asked you how you were doing, and you were like, um, I think you should hit record before I answer that question. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that was actually the direction I was going to go now, just to kind of figure out what is uh, what is hip- happening in, in Nick world, and how does that relate to, I guess, ha- what your North Star is and how you make decisions. Yes. Too big a question. So let's 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 try that again. <laughs> <laughs> Too many questions um, rolled into one. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't. So this podcast is for the ages, right? I don't particularly care what you had for breakfast unless it was completely life changing. What I do care about is, um, you know, in your universe, what does your universe look like right now? Okay, so um, I, I know you're not a native speaker, but you've been in in English language uh, life for long enough. So I, I hope. I hope you know. Um, I, I meant as a percentage of your life, not not uh, explicitly. But um, are you familiar with the, with the English word languishing? Uh, languishing, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, well, not not everybody is, and certainly not in my world living here in the Netherlands, because obviously it's 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 not the most common of words. But that's well, kind of how I don't feel. languish. Uh, I think I, I, I think they're finding out right now that they do. Um, and, and that's part of the problem. And, and this, this is very much a, you know, a, a Corona related thing for me. Um, but it, it actually goes slightly further back. So uh, what are we now? 2021. So the end of 2019, uh, I was not having a good year. I, I basically took the last, I don't know, three or four months of the year off and, and did nothing. Uh, and I was just about ready to get back into, to doing meaningful and useful and, and, and productive stuff uh in january of 2020 and then obviously february came around and the world decided that that is not how the future of nick stevens was going to play out uh and i'm sorry that it dragged the rest of the population in at the same time um so you know i've spent the la- most of last year uh, not doing very much because most companies most people were in a state of i don't know what's going on today or tomorrow or next week let alone uh, in the coming several years of my business uh, and, and now is not a time where I want to be spending any time thinking about innovation because I'm focused entirely on survival. And there is an awful lot of logic in me that says, you know, when the chips are down is when you need as a business to start investing in your future. Um, but obviously this was such a heavy hit for everybody at the same time where nobody knew what was coming the next weeks, days, months. Uh, and now obviously we've got countries that are all out of sync in terms of where they are with dealing with this pandemic. Um, so I've basically spent 18 months from a client perspective of having very little meaningful work to do, which has put me in an odd position because whilst I've had a lot of time personally to uh, sit and rest and recover and think and do some of my own stuff, uh, I don't feel like I've been meaningful to the rest of the world. So I'm, on the one hand, I'm not bad. I'm doing fine. You know, I, I, can, I can sit here and have this conversation with you and I've got a beer in my hand. It's, it's really not a problem. On the other hand, I'm also not good because I'm not feeling like uh, I'm having good contribution towards my, and I think you mentioned the word North Star, uh, of helping as many other people and businesses be better for the world as possible. And and, and there's light at the end of this tunnel. Things are starting to happen and uh, you know people are starting to get uh, into a groove with whatever this post-corona or, or maybe still... Uh, during Corona, uh, uh, flow feels like and starting to talk about the future again. So I'm, I'm, I'm not panicking. I'm confident it'll come, but it's just been a very weird, almost eighteen months of of living in between, and and not necessarily in a in a positive way. Yeah. How how does 
so there was a couple of things there that I kind of made a mental note of. One of them was um, the old saying of put on your own mask before you help somebody else, right? It feels like for COVID, you've had a rough ass year and, you know, <laughs> many of us have. Um, and it's, it feels like you've, you've, you have some, uh, so I, I, I actually think part of it is, is, is pretty selfish. It's lack of personal fulfillment. It's, it's lack of feeling useful to others because the, uh, and don't get me wrong. It's not that I've done nothing and I've had no clients and I've helped no one that that's also, also not true. Um, totally. Yeah. So when, when you say personal fulfillment, does, does that phrase, uh, like move your move your um, life lifefulness dial. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I mean, you know, you 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 know me uh, uh, to a certain extent. Helping other people is my is my jam. So if I'm not able to do that, it's very very weird. And and <laughs> funnily enough, one of the things I've I've been learning in in the last uh, eighteen months or whatever it is, Corona time is is actually how to uh, STFU and and not be clever and not give uh, answers or even ask questions and just listen. Um, and and that's also been quite eye opening. Um, but you know, in my DNA, helping other people is the thing that I do best. So not is that something you've done your whole life, or is that something that you came to after a process? No, it's it, it's so I've had some time to to think and reflect on this. It's it's definitely something I can't ever remembered not doing i mean i think back to uh my one of one of my first uh, uh jobs that then turned into a 12-year corporate career and and literally the job description i had from the temping agency in the uk was come and help this company sort their shit out in their warehouse for two weeks because the big boss from america is coming and that turned into a 12-year career so, you know, I joined that company with a mentality of, okay, apparently you need some sort of help. Yeah. And I just kept saying, how can I help? And how can I help? And how can I help? And that turned into 12 years, three continents and so much more. Yeah. But I feel like that says something about you, right? You didn't, you didn't, my mom uses an expression, which is, you know, you, you, you turn off the faucet, then you mop. And it sounds like somebody sent you into a warehouse with a mop and, an, and a wet floor and you went, wait a minute, why is the floor wet? Uh, yeah, I mean that, that's that's actually closer to the truth than you can ever uh, have imagined. It's it, it, it was exactly like that. I mean, obviously, one of the things was was getting stuff under control. Um, and and I remember, you know, when, for example, I moved to the US, that would have been two thousand and six, uh, with the same company. They asked me, um, and this was already uh, eight years later or something. Um, we've got a, a distribution center that has just been brutally mismanaged and, and needs a lot of help, and we're actually thinking of shutting it down. Uh, can you come over for three months and, and, and figure out what we need to do? And you know, if you talk about being dumped in the deep end, where not only is the the floor flooding and the bath is overflowing, but there's also a fire uh, department outside spraying more water on top of the fire. Um, and and the funny thing is, the deeper you throw me into the unknown. As long as it feels like there is a good reason to be doing this, the, the more I love it, the more I thrive. Hmm. And does that translate into so your personal I don't know life whether, too? Does that translate into my personal life? I have no idea what that question means. I don't think so. Like you walk into, like you wake up in the morning, you get up, you, you have some breakfast and you go like, you know what? There's something about my life that is a, uh, a spiegelvloer, a, uh, a floor that is wet with water. And you yeah. go, okay, well, I got to deal with this. Um, proverbially, not literally. Sure. Perhaps not enough is the right answer to that question. I think it's always easier to focus on helping other people than yourself. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do, I do know as I look back through my life that, you know, there are um, things that I have or haven't done that, that would have been handier if I just, you know, got it over and done with. I am terrible at anything that is repetitive and boring and administrative. And, you know, basically if, if it's not impossible and then my heart isn't pumping and my head isn't going, Oh my God, I don't know how we're going to get out of here, but let's, let's go for it. Then there's a very good chance. I just won't do it. And you know, the, the, the more I've learned certainly on a professional basis, 
that I'm good at maybe the first 20% of something impossible, but the remaining 80% really should be done by somebody else. Um, and uh, if I look back through my history, I, I wish I'd have known that about my personal life so that the 80% would have got dealt with. And so what was the thing that made you... Because it feels like there's a change. There's been a, there's been a process, right? You you discovered something didn't work the way in your life that you wish it did. That was a very clunky sentence, but I think I know what you meant. Uh, and you were like, okay, uh, time to let out a clutch. We need to do something. We need to change something. And as somebody who's biased, biased towards action, like do do you have like do you remember what was the thing that made you go, hey, this this needs some attention. Yeah, so there's there's some this this is a really actually interesting question uh, because there's some stuff here that that I I'm not even sure you know about. Um, so I've had oh maybe we did talk about this. Um, I've I've had what I would call three lives in this lifetime, and I'm not talking about uh, uh, spiritual past lives that kind of stuff. I'm talking about literally in the 42 and a bit years that I've been on this planet. There's been very three very distinct versions of me, and that was. Uh, uh, as a youngster, a very think heavy metal uh, uh, biker gang, uh, drinking in the pub, that kind of lifestyle. Then I had my very corporate lifestyle that I just mentioned briefly. And then I've had my much more entrepreneurial lifestyle uh, in the last uh, 10, 12 years or so. And, and I see those as three very distinct phases. But what's interesting is the switch between them was all very sudden. So um, I basically, you know, uh, switch, switching uh, it to my corporate, it was sort of like, uh, okay, next time to grow up and get a life, um, was, was basically based around uh, uh, an opportunity I was given to, to get a job with this, this big company uh, that then sort of led into this 12-year uh, career by accident. It was definitely not a plan, but I just, you know, kept stumbling forward and, and uh, came out. And till that ended and it was kind of like okay i never want to work for a big company again i've spent 12 years learning how not to do business and 12 years learning how to do business all mixed up into one um i i just need to go start for myself again so that that involved moving back to the netherlands and and spending i don't know six to nine months crying going i don't know who i am anymore i don't know what i'm capable of anymore but i definitely don't want a job working for somebody else anymore yeah um and then when I talk about that, then I think about there was one more time somewhat more recently. Um, and, and that's where our other social circle comes in. And that was I'd been working in Amsterdam, building a company for, I don't know, about three years. And it had turned from your dream business into hell. And I was really not doing good, but I was I was sort of still committed and still convincing everybody and especially myself that, you know, if I just worked a bit harder and, and gave it a bit more that eventually everybody else would get it and they would turn around. And I was in a field in, uh, in the UK at Happy Startup Summer Camp, which I know uh, you also have an affinity, but with a different set of uh, geography. Uh, and I was in a marquee where a guy was talking about or he was going to talk about being lazy and and i love being lazy i think it's the most efficient thing you can do um so i thought this would be really interesting and he said before we start talking i just want you to ask yourself uh, two questions how are you and how are you really and then he stopped and this tent of people kind of looked at each other and started crying independently because nobody in that tent was okay. And I'm pretty sure you have an idea what that feels like because uh, what Lawrence and Carlos do is magic. Uh, but it was really, really confronting because I'd been avoiding this issue for quite some time, thinking optimistically it's going to get better. Uh, and I decided literally within two minutes, I'm not okay and I'm really not okay. And the only thing I can do is quit this job. Uh, or, or quit this company that I'd been part of building, which I did four days later. Oh my goodness, yeah. And so Carlos, who you just mentioned, so Carlos, who you just mentioned, was actually on the fourth episode of this podcast. So I've spoken to him already, and I highly recommend listening to that. Um, yeah, no, he's he's another one of those catalysts in my life who, kind of like you, we don't we don't talk that often, but when we talk, stuff changes, and. Do, so you have that very strongly with me. I feel like we have had uh, a bunch of conversations that are big and life-changing and magical. And do you know that a conversation like that is coming? 
or do they just kind of happen organically? Like what needs to be in place for a conversation like that to happen between two humans? So I'm a, I, I'm a big believer in, in uh, manipulating the world. So uh, I think you posted something online recently about luck. Um, there's a, a, a faction of people in the world who think luck is something that happens to other people. And there's a faction of people in the world who say, the more shots I take, the sooner I'm going to score. And I can apply that to luck too. The more situations I put in myself, the more cold calls I send, the more dates I go on, you know, whatever it is, uh, the, the sooner the chances of lightning striking. Absolutely. And I think, and I think the way I usually put that is, uh, you know, if you want to throw snake eyes, keep throwing the dice. Eventually you'll throw snake eyes. Exactly. It's got to happen sooner or later. Um, yeah. And I also think the same with serendipity. Um, I think serendipity can be manipulated. I don't think you can necessarily put two people together and say, let magic happen. But I think you can uh, uh, coordinate enough things where enough people bumped into each other enough of the time uh, that the conversation, the set and the setting is, is well, that you create circumstance for things to happen. So I, I don't necessarily know if I know when when such a profound or life-changing or, or truly deep and meaningful conversation is going to happen. But I do think I know, and, and also from my, my community building uh, perspective, how to manipulate, it sounds very negative, so engineer scenarios where it might happen. And, and that includes with me being in the conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a few ingredients to me that that jump to the forefront, right? One of them is presence, right? I have to be fully mentally and emotionally present. Before I do yeah. one of these podcast interviews, I meditate. I cannot, I, I can't just quickly jump from emails to this, right? That's one thing. Check. But you mentioned set and setting, which that phrase I'm used to from a different context. <laughs> and I wonder if, so for, for those who didn't get that joke, uh, set and setting is often used in the use of psychedelics, right? Where are you and how are you mentally in order to be ready for a psychedelic journey? But it strikes and, me and that these guys, totally, yes. Uh, there's kind of a directionality, like where are you? What is your directionality and what is your inner state? But it, it, I had never thought about it like that, but you are right. I mean, these conversations do have a set and setting. You do need to have a a place where you feel safe and connected, right? If If you are hungry or if you need to go to the bathroom, these conversations don't happen. But more importantly, there is this there is this almost psychedelic quality about really good conversations where you just fall into a emotional and conversational hole that is not unlike psychedelic. So is is this related somehow in your mind? So I mean the, without the admitting thing... to your crimes. <laughs> Oh, I, I have no problem with that. The thing that I've I've uh, uh, learned about psychedelics is is quite literally it's all you. So um, as much as anybody wants to talk about what happened and what they thought and the and the outside world, it it, it can only be coming from inside you if if you're taking a a genuine uh, psychedelic trick. I mean, obviously there is there is the difference to taking acid at a festival or a party. That that's something else. But um, and I think. When you're having deep and meaningful and, and life-changing uh, types of conversations with people, if you look at when they happen, you know, they don't tend to happen around the uh, uh, lunch table at the office because you're just not in a setting and, and not necessarily with people that you are prepared to, to uh, have those types of conversations with. And I'm not saying it's impossible for it to happen. Uh, I mean, it feels kind of weird to me that I'm looking out the window here and it's, uh, what are we now, um, eight o'clock in the evening. So it's still very, very daylight in Europe and you're just waking up in the morning in California. And, you know, this, this doesn't feel quite like the set and setting for a deep and meaningful conversation, but I'm only half a beer in, so that could change. Right. Yeah, no, I, 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 and I think that actually the interesting piece is most of the time we have had these conversations that have been extremely comfortable leatherback chairs, beer in hand in a pub. And probably a couple of beers in. Yeah, but um, not, excessive, not necessarily excessive drinking. No, no, we haven't been... Oh, we've been shit-faced together, but not for those conversations. <laughs> no. No, and, and again, I think, you know, uh, uh, the, the, there is this similarity, as you said, to uh, uh, the perspective of, of, of uh, a good psychedelic experience, and, and that is, why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the intention? What am I... Why am I doing this? What do I want to get out of it? And, and I don't necessarily think we... 
you and I specifically have asked ourselves that. What do we want out of this uh, evening of uh, uh, casual drinking in in this bar? Uh, I think we just knew that we were not meeting for a quick pint and cheerio, uh, and that gives you this this time to just much like this this conversation now. Take our time and let it meander, and and you know let's let's get the uh, the, the the chit chat. How was your day? Out of the way, or let's skip it entirely. And uh, so, what do you think about the current state of the world? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think I think the interesting thing for me in these conversations is the delta, which is like, where are you, and where would you like to be, or where is the world, and where would you like the world to be? And that delta, that gap. If that gap is very small, these conversations aren't interesting, right? If, if you are having a magnificent time, uh, you know, professionally, uh, interpersonally, spiritually, and you just feel like you're firing on all cylinders and you're essentially in flow state, I think talking about flow state while in flow state is meaningless. And the same thing with the world around you. If the world around you is fine for some value of fine, it doesn't, you don't, I, I said the other day to somebody that uh, that per- perfection is frictionless, and what I mean by that, it's fucking boring, right? You need you need some friction. You need something to grab onto for something to be interesting, and perfection is not where these conversations happen. So it's about a set and setting where you have imperfection, where you have some sort of grip on the world around you, um, and some leverage, maybe even. Yeah, I actually stole a phrase from psychology to describe this in um, in innovation perspective. And and again, you know, what what does innovation mean? It, it means doing new things, right? It doesn't have to be very very technical. And and the point there is that there has to be a current state and there has to be a future state. And the difference, the delta, as you call it, between those two states, uh, is is tension, right? And uh, the the phrase I stole from psychology is uh, it's generative tension. If that tension is too small, you basically don't do it. If that tension is too big, too uh, overwhelming, you can't do it, no matter how much you might try. That will lead to stress and, and, and breakdown and etc. But if it is a healthy set of tension, which can still be a long way, like a, a North Star or a very, you know, very... Um, ambitious thing but you know you're gonna to have to break it down into steps and, and before i can get to two i gotta to get to one and after two i'll get to three on my way to 10 or 100 or a million uh then i think that tension is, is actually uh very necessary I, I i think you can't grow without it and you know i'm trying to now take it from a, a an innovation a very work and, and business thing to a a, a more uh human lifeliness thing because i think Growth is part of being lively. Not growing does not sound lively to me. That does not sound like life. Not growing sounds like you're going the other direction. And again, it can be grayscale. It doesn't have to be binary. Um, But I think that tension is very, very necessary to enable growth. So am I hearing you say that stagnation is death? Uh, so I, I think, okay, now depends on what you mean by death, but for most people, death is a binary thing, right? You're alive or you're dead. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I think stagnation is leaning towards, it's a step in the way of becoming dead. Uh, I mean, well, you know, I you suppose the reason I asked was that you specifically described, uh, totally. I specifically asked because you described your, your directionality as liveliness. And so the opposite. I don't know. What is the opposite of liveliness? I just described it as death. That seems like it may have been wrong. What, what is the opposite? Uh, well, I, so I, I think I think death is is the the finite ending. So unliveliness uh, right. um, is perhaps a, a, a step toward you know death. Death is an end result, right? I think. And so stagnation is for you movement towards that state. Yeah. So I mean, I, yeah. And and sorry, just thinking one step further. Perhaps the opposite of liveliness is dying but not necessarily death. Right. Because I think, you know, you, you can have death at one end and alive at the other and, and this mix in the middle. And, and in the middle, what I'm, I'm not looking necessarily for a state, but I'm looking for a, a verb, a, a, an action. Interesting. So stagnation is dying. I think so, yeah. It's certainly not that, growth. That, that hits me viscerally. But I think there is something really interesting that's built into the core of that statement, Nick, which is if growth is liveliness, then 
you can't be in a state of liveliness. So what I'm saying is that you can't just get to your state of liveliness and then say, you know what, I'm here, you know, kick off your shoes, sit back, you've made it. Because that is stagnation. So you have to keep you have to keep working on liveliness. Does that sound right? I, I think so. And that's why I said I was looking more for a, a doing word rather than an active or a state. Mm. Um, dead is a state. You either are or aren't. Alive, like pregnant, you either are yeah. or you aren't. But in the middle, you can be moving in directions. And I, I, I like what you're adding to this conversation. And that is, yeah, I mean, what you said about perfection. I mean, uh, as much as I despise him for being perhaps the most uh, evil man in modern day history, I can't imagine how terrible it must be to have Jeff Bezos' life at this point in time. He's, you know, he's won capitalism. He has won literally every modern day uh, measurement of human success including literally launching himself into space and back today. I mean, what else does this guy have to do for the next however long he lives for? Yeah. Well, and the question is, 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 he, is he happy slash is he growing slash is he... Like all of those things are true and real, you know? The yeah, other thing right. though is when, when you're looking for a verb, Nick, um, the thing that's... The visual that springs to mind is that you're tending to a garden. You are doing things that facilitate growth. Is that a question or a statement? Well, I guess I just want to see how that lands on you. Like, does does your liveliness practice, if we're going to call it that, does that feel like gardening? Or is there a different descriptor you would use? Hmm, I haven't thought of that, but I I, I understand the metaphor and I, I don't have a strong objection to it, so that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, Progress. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm terrible with plants, so that, that really doesn't help. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, left left to their own devices, plants will stagnate and eventually die, right? They need some yeah. love and attention. But most of them, or at least in my experience, are, are somewhat flexible, and, and I'm sure they have good days and bad days, and they need a certain amount of, of, of sunlight, but not too much, right? So I, I, I totally get that metaphor. Um, I don't know if I would consciously say it was gardening, but that's going to be an interesting thing for me to think about in the coming weeks. Yeah. And I would love, I mean, when you find out, I would love to know because I agree, you know, these are not states, you know, stagnation isn't death. It is dying, you know, uh, uh, evolution or your kind of personal growth and liveliness isn't a one-time thing. It is a, it is a practice. And so if it isn't, if it isn't gardening, I would love to know that for you, what that practice looks yeah. like. And, and 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 it's a practice that you don't have to do, right? So, I mean, there are days where I look back and think, okay, that wasn't lively. That that didn't help. That was going the yeah. wrong direction. Hopefully tomorrow I can uh, do better. And, and in fact, I, I try to ban the word hope because you're kind of then uh, uh, projecting expectation on the world outside of you mm. uh, rather than taking accountability for yourself. So, you know, I mean, on, on my darkest of days, you know, sometimes it was literally... Uh, I could get out of bed and take a shower or not. Not doesn't feel lively. Uh, and to use your word, that would be stagnation. So just taking a shower and calling that a win for today is okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and obviously that that's that's a, a very heavy one end of the spectrum, but I, I know it's one that you have understanding of. Um, totally. But I think you could also be the other end of that spectrum and saying, okay, how could I get more out of today in a way of feeling lively instead of instead of how something I grew up with uh, uh, the perspective of human beings have to be productive. And I don't think productiveness yeah. is necessarily liveliness. Totally. And I've been there, right? I've been in days where I'm like, oh God, a shower. And then I drag myself out of the sh bed and I take a shower and I'm like, okay, well, is that my day? Am I done? And then what I usually do is I go and force myself to go and wash one dish. I don't have to wash all the dishes, but just one. And then I can say, look, I did dishes today. Maybe I'll, maybe I, I rarely run the laundry machine with one sock in it, but that is kind of the, the, the visual that pops into my head. It's like, do, do one tiny little achievable thing. Higher, you can put one sock in the washing machine. And while you're there, just run the rest of the load, right? Because at that point, you've, you've done the hard thing. You put one sock in. Just put the rest of the laundry in and run the laundry. Right. But I and, think and what, there is... Go on. 
I'm sorry, what I was going to say is, and, and what we're talking about now for, for some people listening might be very, very weird because they've never thought about it this perspective, but it's actually no different from the more positive aspect of habit building. If you want to build a new habit, uh, particularly if you subscribe to the Atomic Habits uh, from James Clear perspective, is you've got to commit to doing the very smallest possible thing and make that happen. And once you get into the habit of that, then the ball starts rolling and more will come. And so, for example, I heard about one uh, um, person who was trying to build a yoga habit, but, but, but couldn't quite get into it. Um, and with her coach, they came to the perspective of the only thing you have to do, the smallest possible thing that you have to commit to, is rolling out your, excuse me, rolling out your yoga mat. Yeah, I mean, yoga is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> no, but I, but I hear you. And as somebody who this month actually decided to start doing yoga every day, I, you know, there are days that it just stayed rolled up. And I'm like, well, you're right. You're right. I'm going to try it. I'm going to commit to rolling up my yoga mat and then maybe still choosing not to do it, but at least I did something. And, and that's okay. Because if your commitment is to rolling out your yoga mat, there is nothing that will stop. Uh, I, you can roll out your yoga mat from your bed. I, right. I literally as have, yeah. It, <laughs> as long as you've got it next to your bed, I'm sure, uh, although you do live in San Francisco, so maybe not or close enough, um, but I'm sure that you've got just enough room to roll out your yoga mat without actually getting out of bed. So you yeah. know, if that is the smallest thing you can commit to, then it's automatically a win. If you then happen to get on it and, and, and roll around and stretch and, and, and do the child pose and the dog downward facing cat and whatever, I don't know, um, that's a bonus. And that is so much more powerful than saying I failed to do yoga again or I failed to do the dishes or I failed because I didn't get out of bed. Yeah. It sounds like we're getting pretty close to to almost expectation management or success management where we say is you don't have to run the full marathon, put your damn shoes on. So, you know... I, I have to think about myself in this and, and, you know, again, uh, small things that I'm not interested in are the hardest things in the world for me. And so setting a level of, level of expectation that is achievable helps me. I don't think saying I want to run a marathon. So I'll start by putting my shoes on is going to work for me because the, the, the Delta between those two things is too big. But if I wanted to build up a running habit, then I would probably start with saying, put my shoes on and take a walk outside the door. Mm. Yeah. Because getting out of the door with your shoes on is, is one step closer to running. Sitting on the sofa with my running shoes on probably isn't. So what is conceptually the difference between rolling out a yoga mat and putting on a pair of running shoes? I think it's the intent. Uh, if you want to go running you probably are not going to do that inside your house. I mean, I, maybe you have a mention. Um, I'm certainly not going to go running in my house. Right. So putting the shoes on for me would be a uh, uh, perhaps one step too small. And, and, and maybe for you, putting your shoes on is, is enough. That I mean, you know, we don't all have to be identical on this. But I think you rolling out your yoga mat, you know, even if that is the most energy draining thing you're going to do that day, then you might just, you know, take a slump on it and then you know, just from literally lying on it, you think, oh, I'll just stretch my shoulders. That's a yoga pose. There we go. There had to be <laughs> one, right? Yeah. Whereas putting your uh, sneakers on and sitting on the sofa is not one step closer to running in my head. But if I take one step outside my door and I'm in the fresh air, that's one step closer to running for me. And, and I'm not a runner, so I'm never going running. But No, I get it. But I think this is actually... We've just hit something really juicy and wonderful. There's a difference between rolling out a yoga mat and putting on shoes. And I want to add, add a third dimension to this, which is I've had some mental health challenges, some pretty big ones, actually, over the last couple of months. I know you have, too. What is the, what is the smallest step you can do in that direction in your universe? Like, what is the equivalent of rolling out a mat or putting on shoes when it comes to mental health for, for Nick? <laughs> Yeah, so for me, the, uh, the the steps are basically one, recognizing that this is happening and is real and is okay. Uh, then giving myself some space, so not trying to solve it immediately. Uh, and then starting with just do one thing, 
per day or whatever time frame feels reasonable. And and uh, you know, obviously, you know as well as I do, you can you can still deal with obligations whilst being in a pretty uh, heavy funk uh, space. Yeah. So the, the, the rest of the world doesn't necessarily know that the one meeting you showed up to, whether that's physically or online, was the only thing you got done for two days. Um, yeah. But they thought it was awesome. Um, so, so just being kind to myself and recognizing it and helping myself through it is probably uh, the, the, the answer to your question. Um, I, ironically, you know, a, a lot of what I've seen and, and now start to recognize is very much pattern based. Um, and that's, that's one good thing about being very logical and, and in my brain is that you start to see these patterns and you start to know how to respond to them. So mm-hmm. that, that helps, but only once you've spotted the pattern. Yeah. So what is the pattern that's alive for you now? Like one that you want to amplify or one that you want to uh, press the mute button on? Um... So for me, this this uh, certainly on a on a work basis helping and and again, you know, you and I have this uh, very privileged position where our work and our life is uh, or non work life is very much intertwined into our our, our daily being. Yeah. Um, so if I can get myself to a perspective where I'm actually spending the majority of my working hours, whatever that means, and I don't need to count them, um, but helping other people to make the world a better place with their business. Uh, and there's, there's various different ways that I'm, I'm starting to do that. Then that, that is my focus for now. The, the challenge I've got is I'm still a little bit ahead of time. So I, I'm, I'm spending some time thinking uh, a lot internally. I've been, I've been telling myself that I'm writing a book. And what I mean is I'm thinking about the content of a book, mm-hmm. which as, uh, as you, as somebody has written several books, uh, uh, knows is a big gap. Um, oh, yeah. But I'm certainly thinking about the content and, and making notes and stuff um, because, you know, this is one of the ways that I can try to get my knowledge out into the world so you don't have to hire me. You know, this is not necessarily uh, an egotistical thing of uh, I, I want people to hire me to help them to make the world a better place. That would be very nice and, and would certainly pay my rent and stuff. Um, but I would much rather you could just take my knowledge somehow and make your business a better uh, thing for the world without having to hire me. So uh, te- a teach a man to fish type thing. Yeah, and and maybe because there is no book on how to do this, so maybe just getting access to the knowledge and the the mindset that goes behind it, and and here's some you know ten actionable tips and twenty seven case studies, is enough for somebody to go, oh, now I know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and if you can do that for I don't know whatever a book has to cost uh, twenty bucks, uh, great. Then you shouldn't hire me, um, and I'm happy to have helped you in that way. Um, mm, and obviously, I if, love that. If uh, if everything makes sense and you still say, but we need help and you want to hire me, then that's also great. And as I say to all of my coaching clients, my goal is not to make you addicted on me. My goal is to help you and get out of here as fast as possible because yes. then I can get to the next person and help them. Yeah. I had this um, conversation with somebody yesterday. So I do uh, pitch coaching. So I help companies uh, raise money. Mm-hmm. And I told them, and they asked me what my success ratio was and I had to laugh. And I was like, well, I am very good at start." T- talking people out of starting businesses. And so what that means is that they come to me for pitch coaching and we do a lot of work on the story and that kind of stuff. But I think in a not insignificant number of cases, I actually talk people out of starting a business in the first place. I'm like, hey, this is not something, you know, think about these five things. And if you don't come back with satisfactory actions, is that really what you want to be investing your life in? And Quite a lot of the time, people come back with a, you know what, you're right. There is a very big competitor that we can't take on, or I'm not the right person to do this, or the timing is wrong, or the market is wrong, or whatever we come up with. And the beautiful thing to or me I'm at that point- to commit to that amount of debt. Yes, yes, precisely. Any number of things. And the beautiful thing to me about this person question was like, what is your success rate? And I think if I manage to talk 100% out of, of my customers out of starting businesses, I am running one of the best consultancies in the world because, because the only, you, know, you can always make new friends. You can always raise more money. You can always, but your time is so precious that if you cannot waste time, you are in such a beautiful place. And of course, this is not what this person wanted to hear. You know, they were a little bit further into their business, but yeah, the, the opportunity cost of the humans who are smart enough to start a startup 
is so enormous that it is insulting uh, to 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 plow money into the wrong company. Totally agree, and and it's interesting because there was something you said, and that was uh, uh, wasting time, and and I find that a fascinating concept because you know every human being on the planet has 24 hours in every day and you can yep. even argue that 24 hours is a man-made construct or human-made construct sorry yeah um but but okay let, let, let's just agree on that one for the moment so can you waste time uh, and i'm not sure that you can waste time i think you can certainly spend it in uh, uh better or less useful ways um but I don't know if you can actually waste it. it. It's not our, we don't, we, we don't have this. This is one of the struggles I've had with doing businesses. I don't want to bill by the hour. And I, I don't want to have that conversation because I don't have time. I can't give it to you. I can't sell it to you. Um, so I'm not a big believer in being able to waste time, but I do think you can waste other people's time. So uh, thinking about what you're talking about is, you know, uh, young, inexperienced founders who, who think that they've got a golden genius idea, but they won't tell you unless you sign an NDA uh, and they want to go raise money. You know, they're going to spend an awful lot of time wasting other people's time to get to know. So that's that's definitely not helpful. And I recently I recently started doing some more woodworking. Right. And I built a small thing. It doesn't matter what it was, but I built a small thing. And oh, now I know what, now I want to know what it was. Uh, it was just a little box uh, in the garden okay. to keep my stuff in. But awesome. the thing is, so it, it doesn't really matter to the story. What does matter is that I made some very stupid beginner mistakes in building this box out of wood. And I didn't discover until I went on YouTube. I don't like YouTube. YouTube, you can't skip. You can't, you can't skim. You have to watch the whole thing or I have to watch the whole thing because my brain works that way, which means that I ended up watching a 20 minute YouTube clip that would have saved me three hours of work because it turns out I did it the wrong way. And I was kicking myself a little bit, right? I went outside and I tried it. I couldn't get there. I had to go inside, watch 20 minutes of YouTube, and then I got it done in an hour. And to me, those three hours, you can either argue that this was a learning process. That was what I needed to do to get to YouTube, but they felt for me like a waste of time. Like that was me wasting my own time on not relying on the experts in a field where I knew I wasn't an expert. Whereas in photography, you know, I am pretty, pretty good at picking up gear and figuring out how to do it. You know, I will waste minimal amounts of time in figuring out how to take a photo. And I think that is what I mean by wasting time. And so if I'm starting a new company where I don't really know what I'm doing, it would be a disservice for me not to reach out to people who do know what they're doing to ensure I waste as little as my time as possible. And I think that's actually the business we are both in. Sure. But we are only in that business because we've learned the hard way and we don't want other people to go through that process. And and again, you know, I, I can argue, I don't think you did waste three hours on your woodworking project. I think you look at that, that object now and you think, I'm really proud I did that. And yeah, okay, maybe I could have spent less time on it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but in the total number of hours of Haye's life, uh, 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 past and future, it's insignificant. Totally. Well, and it was an enjoyable project, even though it took three times longer than it needed to. So in that sense, it ah, wasn't but a what, waste. But what, what is needed to? Why, 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 just because you can get it done in an hour, why shouldn't you do it in two? Well, so I am a, I'm a Renaissance man. I do so many things. And if I spent three hours on something that could take one, that is eaten up two hours of something I could be doing something else, right? So it's opportunity cost. It's not the inherent cost of those three hours is one thing, but the opportunity cost of not doing something else that I might've enjoyed more is real. Ah, but then perhaps if it's about, you might've enjoyed something else more, perhaps you should just prioritize that over building the box. <laughs> Well, now we're getting very close to the heart of things, Nick. <laughs> so, and, and I hinted to this a little bit earlier. I think um, that that's the world that you and I have grown up in has been very, very much capitalistic uh, uh, productivity is everything. And we've been, we've, uh, you know, bra brainwash sounds very uh, uh, heavy, but, I, you know, we, we've been forced into a perspective where we consider, generally speaking, we, not necessarily you or me, if we are not productive, then we have not spent our time well. And yet going to the cinema 
is not being productive. Having a date is not being productive. Reading a book of poetry is not being productive. And and I seem to remember that we're called human beings and not human doings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also disagree that those things are not productive. It depends what you how you define productivity and what fuels you. Yeah, so when I say productivity, I, I mean generally being busy trying to achieve things um, and, and then mostly uh, with, with Turning that into of, money, yeah. Well, I was going to say some sort of economic perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, whether it is a direct into money or you earn money from it, your job, for right, example. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just not sure that that's what life is supposed to be about. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, in fact, that we're supposed to work to support our life not the other way around, mm. but most of us spend an awful lot of time thinking about how we can be productive, which is more of a work-ish related thing rather than a life-ish thing, which sometimes just sitting on the sofa and watching two hours of uh, uh, Netflix or Marvel or whatever is the space you need to uh, uh, rest or to recuperate or to uh, turn your brain off so that you can think about things in a different way or create space for an aha moment to uh, appear or whatever but you would never you would never call at least i don't think or maybe i should ask you would you call watching two hours of the marvel universe productivity well it depends what you do right if you so for me that would be unproductive right for somebody who is in the film industry or for somebody oh, sure. who wants to learn about this or who who derives Absol- huge amount abs- of pleasure from it maybe Absolutely. it's productive but- but I'm talking about you or me. Watching two hours of Netflix is is not generally considered productive. Well, it depends what is on Netflix. But I agree, the Marvel Universe specifically would not be productive for me. There we go. But it doesn't mean it's not important. And and maybe you're yeah. not a Marvel fan. Maybe you're a, a romantic comedy fan. Whatever. Um, but you know the 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 perspective of trash television. You know yeah. sometimes you just need to give yourself space to to rest and and turn your brain off. It's you know. Um, yeah. It reminds me of that old um, John Lennon parable where uh, his teacher asks him, what do you want to do when you grow up? John Lennon says, happy. The teacher says, uh, you don't understand the question. And John Lennon says, you don't understand life. And I'm like, that is so on the nose because ultimately I have, an, I have a thought about what happiness is, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is that everybody who has a feeling for what brings them well, in your case, life, lifeliness or liveliness, yeah. you know, working towards that, whatever shape that takes, is productive. And if watching two hours of Marvel on if watching two hours of Marvel on Netflix brings you liveliness, then that was productive. Um, if your definition of productive is reaching your goals, yes. I'm not sure that is generally speaking what the world thinks of as productivity, but ah, but this is a podcast, Nick. We get to redefine yes. words. <laughs> hey, mate, we've been talking for over an hour, and I am super. I could talk for many more. Um, I'm also in in the spirit of not wasting time. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to put an end to this, just because I sense that I might need to have you come back on this podcast at some point. But what I would like to close on is. Um, do you have like a, a guiding principle or a mantra or a North star that you turn to when the going gets tough? Like when you get stuck, when you're not being lively or whatever that looks like to you, do you have a phrase that you go to that helps you back on the right track? I do. And it's funny because you mentioned uh, just a few moments ago, John Lennon, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought you were going to go there already, but you didn't, which is, uh, <laughs> which is good because otherwise it would have been a spoiler for this moment. Um, and that is, uh, it's a phrase that actually a friend of mine reminded me of a couple of years ago. And, and he's somebody I think I should connect you with as well. Uh, maybe you should do a blind date version of this podcast. And I'll just dump you two in it together. Because um, I think you'd have really Ooh, fascinating conversation. Um, and, and I actually think you might have met and probably wouldn't remember it. And I'm just going to leave that there as a, as a cliffhanger for the <laughs> viewers. Love it. Um, but the, the, the quote or the mantra in question is, uh, and of course now my mind has gone completely blank. Um, if it ain't over, it isn't the end. And if it isn't the end, it ain't over. No, something like that. Um, oh man, it, help me out. It's all going to be good in the end. And if it isn't good, it isn't the end. Something very much like that. Um, Wow, the, the, and, and this isn't even a live podcast. I still feel the pressure. Um, but yeah, that, that perspective of um, it, 
there's something I've learned is it's going to be fine. You know, you and I are in such, you know, no, no matter how bad we might feel on a day, we're in such a privileged position. We are, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 we literally struck jackpot and on the global uh, um, DNA perspective of, you know, we're young, white, reasonably intelligent, uh, reasonably well-off middle-aged men. Yep. It doesn't get better than this. Uh, and, and no matter how bad we think it is, there are certainly many, many people who have it far worse. Although, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of saying I've got it bad and you've got it worse. I don't think we should compare, but I think it's good to, to realize what do we mean when we say we don't feel good. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, there are many, many people who have it better, depending on what your definition of better is and mine. And, and they can be very different things, um, which then takes me back to we're going to be just fine. It's, you know, we're... Ultimately, we're all stardust, um, and and that's how it starts, and that's how it ends, and and everything in the middle. Let's just shoot for being lively. Yeah, yeah, man, totally. And I think there's something so interesting in that. It's like we we you are right. We are standing on a mountain of privilege, and it feels. I mean, I have guilt about feeling unhappy against that context because I mean, it's not helpful to feel guilty about unhappiness because that's not how you fix happiness. But also, there is something in there where, you know, if you look at people who are truly happy, they optimize for different things than I do. And it is such an eye-opener to realize, wait a minute, the things that the world tells me I need to do to be happy, there are other people who are deeply, profoundly joyous and happy who don't do those things. And so why do I think that I need to go down this path? Well, I think you just answered your own question. I realized it was rhetorical, but because you and I have been programmed to believe that happiness and success are certain things and achieved in certain ways. And there are, as you point out, people who live in, and and there are people who live in entirely different systems who have never heard of these things that we're being talked about, who are genuinely happy. But there are also people who live in our systems who say, I don't subscribe to that bullshit. I'm going to go my own way. And they're also happy. Um, and, and so I think you hit the nail on the head when you say, if, if, if happiness is what you want to, uh, achieve or be, or, or a state, if you, if you say happiness is not an end goal, but a, a, a verb, um, then that's what you have to optimize for. And if you're not optimizing for it, then, uh, Hey, maybe it's time to make different life decisions. On that note, Nick, I'm going to go make some different life decisions. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming. This is wonderful. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, like I said in the beginning, we've never not had a deep and meaningful conversation. And, and this, is, this is just another one on the list. So uh, I can't wait for the next one. Oh, love it.